What's up, party people? Rob Cruz, Transcending Sport. This is episode 11. Julianne Soviero will be the guest on this podcast episode. Wanted to give you a quick interlude of what to expect in today's podcast. We're talking about mental skills. We're talking about negativity and versus positivity. We're talking about passive versus patient. We're talking about the necessity of failure and how failure needs to be more mandatory in a practice regimen so that athletes could understand how to develop true mental resiliency. We need emotional resiliency. We need to be able to understand that, yes, I did suck, but I'm going to suck sometimes. I need to be able to overcome that really quickly because there's another play that I have to make. There's another game to be played. There's another at-bat. There's another pitch to be thrown. There's another ground ball coming at me. Get over it. A lot of times we make practice so easy. We want players to have so much success and they leave practice with this high self-esteem and high sense of sense of value, of self-value. And then they go into a game and they are not prepared for the speed of the game, for the adversity that the game brings. And then we have not done our jobs as coaches. We have not done our jobs as parents to prepare them for what is to come. So in this episode, we have covered it. We have talked about it. We have brought some things to light. We talked about perfectionism and how perfectionism being this unicorn that isn't really attainable and giving your kids or athletes a perspective on what perfectionism is and why it's the devil. <laughs> we talked about inter- internal triggers and, and how do we get kids to understand what their own personal personal trigger is and how they can activate um, getting into the zone more. We talked about self-talk, positive self-talk versus negative self-talk versus people who don't have any self-talk. Check it out. Welcome to the Transcending Sport Podcast with Rob Cruz, an audio experience bringing you interviews, conversations, and more from some of the most intriguing personalities in the sports world. And now, your host, Rob Cruz. All right, here we go. Welcome to Transcending Sport. I am your host, Rob Cruz. Our guest is Julianne Soviero, sports performance specialist. We are going to talk mental skills, emotional skills, in training and developing young athletes, both female and male. Welcome to the show, Julianne. Thank you so much, Rob. It's, it's not it's not like you're a guest, because, I mean, I've only done 10 podcasts, and you've been on almost four of them already. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I love this. I love this medium. I think this is an amazing way to get the message out to more people and to really, like, enhance the lives of all the athletes out there. Absolutely. So I, want, I wanted to talk to you, and, and we always have these great conversations, and unfortunately, sometimes we have conversations that are unmiked and then I'm like man I wish people would have heard us talk about that and that, that's kind of how this really started because originally I don't know if you remember this or not um, originally we talked about us doing a podcast together where we co-hosted it I remember yeah, yeah. so it's, it seems like we're, we're actually kind of doing that anyway but <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, but everything worked out the way it should. everything worked out the way it should because that was that was actually my original vision and usually your first vision is usually the right one. 
anyway yeah. <laughs> um but so so um this is what i'm this is what we know as as teachers and instructors we know that the mental game the mental game is usually the majority of the process the majority of the of the, of the fraction of the process so it could be 70% for some kids, 80% for some players. Sometimes it's even 90% for other players. So the game, um, especially the higher you play, the higher you go, becomes more mental, more emotional um, than it is at the lower levels. And a lot of times the athletes who come from, let's say, 12 and under, 14 and under, and then they go into that, they make that leap into the uh, into elite, you know, elite level competition um, they don't realize why they why they're not the same player that they were when they were younger and it's because the game got better the game got faster the game got a lot more competitive yet they have not been able to transcend mentally those, those things that would hold them back so um, to that you say what I think that it's the most under trained part of sport in general and that's totally a shame because we think every day we have to do physical skills and every day we have to build on those physical skills but when it comes down to the clutch moments in a game situation a lot of the time those physical skills are already ingrained it's how you perceive the situation mentally how you're able to visualize or how you're able to correct for a previous mistake that that's really the stuff that takes you to the next level so if you're not doing some sort of mental training on a daily basis like where does that leave you in those high pressure situations and where does that leave you when it comes to just playing at the higher level in general and really not in a great place is the right answer to that so so i think you know uh I, i do this i do this thing at the end of my classes where i'll have the players compete um, obviously, I, I want them to try to compete against each other, but I also want them to be able to compete against themselves every week to try to get yeah. better at the I get to get better at the game that we play. So what I do is I, I I create a I create a specific challenge, and I give them an objective. And obviously, there's failure involved, there's success involved, but you got to go home with that. Like you got to you got to be able to go home with that and figure out next week when we come back and do then we do it again how you're going to overcome. And sometimes, in the same players will, they'll do fine the entire time. But as soon as I say, okay, now this is for push-ups or this is for, you know, you got to hit, hit a certain number or whatever like that. They tend to tense up. And I'm like, wait a minute, you were just hitting rising line drives the entire 45 minutes. But as soon as I said, okay, but as soon as I said, okay, we got a two-strike count, um, let's get it done. Bases loaded. Run around second. Make it happen. But you know, I put them in that. In, I put the the practice in the, into the emotional context of what a game would feel like. And now it's like, why'd you roll over on that pitch? What happened? You didn't. You weren't doing that ten minutes ago. So being able to get players to understand what happens when that happens. Um. Like what actually happened to you mentally? What, what what caused you to to underperform or underachieve because the stakes were higher? Because we all know that the ground ball that you get in the bottom of the seventh with a runner on third with two outs, 
is not the same thing as the ground ball in the first inning <laughs> with nobody not out, nobody on. Like it's still a ground ball, but it's not the same ground ball. Yeah. And I think especially at this point in time with recruiting still happening so early, I mean, we'll see what happens in April, but there's a lot more pressure on these athletes at a much younger age. And some of them really thrive under pressure and some of them haven't found a way yet to handle that pressure. Like, I think, I think people always look at pressure like it's a bad thing. And that's not necessarily true at all. Mm-hmm. In some cases, I mean, if you look at some of the things that make people high performers in general, one of the things, also, and you're talking about not just athletes, but people who are also, you know, CEOs and people who run successful businesses and um, people who have had success at all sorts of different levels in life. A lot of times what you're seeing is that they're, they're able to use pressure successfully. They're able to use deadlines successfully um, versus people who have, you know, they might have the same types of pressures, but they, you know, collapse in those situations. They don't know how to handle them properly. Huh. So I'm finding that as I get to know athletes more, I may have a player who is very nonchalant academically with her academics, right? So so she's nonchalant or he's nonchalant with his academics or just casual. Okay, I got an 80. That's fine. I I, I didn't get a 90, but I I didn't get a 70. So I got an 80. I'm good, right? Or I got an 85. I know you know where I'm going with this. And then they'll, they'll take that same mentality into how they do sports. Well, I made the team. Yeah. Uh, well, I made the team. Um, I'm happy that I'm on the team. If I don't play that much, that's okay. At least I made the team. Whereas you're, you're, you're taking that same, I'm cool with being average. I'm okay with being mediocre or or sub-excellent. I, I just don't want to have to work hard. But if you had worked hard... And why and you, would you be... A- yeah, I'm sorry. Why would you be accepting of that ever? So, know, so here's the deal. But, he, but, he, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. You have to have those types of players in order for the great ones to actually be great. It separates you. So the, the, everybody can't be the overachiever. I'm going to go hit for an hour before practice and I'm going to hit 20 minutes after practice. Or I'm going to go hit on my day off. Or what is a day off? I don't even know what that is. Yeah, you know, everybody can't be that. <laughs> everybody can't even be, be that. Everybody can't be that person. So you have you're gonna have your elite uh, players that and, and your elite students in, in, in the classroom who are gonna they're gonna do the extra assign the extra credit the extra credit well work they're gonna um, study till one two in the morning they're gonna you know they, then you got the kids who are gonna just do the bare minimum and we have a lot of bare minimum um, mentalities or mindsets they have a bare minimum mentality or mindset but they feel like the game owes them success. Just because they That's play. That's very interesting. Okay, because I was literally just reading about um, what a sense of entitlement does to kind of like instru- destroy, you know, your drive in life. And sometimes that is growing up because, you know, you had a ton of money growing up. Or sometimes it's growing up because your parents treated you like, you know, everybody should be catering to you and this and that. But, um, it's interesting and in how like really destructive a sense of entitlement is how if um how children generally who are 
um, inheriting, like, let's say, small fortunes tend to not be that successful of the, on their own in life because, you know, they don't understand what it took to work for that fortune. It's just been handed to them. And I think that's so admirable to what you're yeah, saying right now. Yeah, it's the, it's the David and Goliath. It's the David and Goliath syndrome. <laughs> it's yeah. definitely it's definitely yeah. the David and Goliath syndrome. And I think <laughs> I think um I look at it and I say, Hey, you know what? I, I always try to get my athletes to understand, listen, I know you want to get recruited, so does everybody. But if you have a B plus average, you're not going to be applying to Princeton, Harvard, and Yale. I know so you you you're batting eighth on your travel team. Why are you writing emails to top 10 schools it's the same thing but somehow we feel like this game owes me because I play travel ball and my team is my team has this elite um, (laughs) I don't even want to go into like all the elite teams that have 20 teams at one level and it gets and the kids are confused because they think well I'm on the same team as her why am I not getting recruited? No, you're not on the same team as her. You're on the B, C, D, E, F, G team of that top team. It's not It's not the same. So now <clears throat> it becomes confusing in it. And I, I don't know if the parents are perpetuating this sense of entitlement where, the, okay, this game owes us because we put out, we, we, went, we went to California. There were no schools there. You know, we went to California and, you know, why, why aren't I recruited? Well, then you're not good enough. Because I tell my pitchers, if you're hitting 60 plus, you're going to be good enough to pitch somewhere. If you're pitching below 60, below 60 plus, you're going to be good enough to play somewhere, somewhere, but it's not going to be the same place that the people who throw 60 plus are going to be playing. So there's a there's a place for everybody to play. But oh, definitely. We, we have, and I think yeah. that's the, the whole thing too is people don't people don't necessarily have to go and say, okay, I can only play in Division 1 or 2 and that's sort of the end of it um, especially for those who are like academic minded and looking for at like NESCAC schools and things like that like that that's a totally different thing but and I think the fu- other thing I tend to see to your point is there's what I would consider more now to be like a sporadic application of talent so in other words like where a kid will go kind of like hard for a little while and then be like okay no now, now I'm done, you know, <laughs> I've done what I need to do. And then they'll, they'll kind of like not be into it for a while, not practicing, not writing colleges, like things like that. And then they'll lose so much ground. I mean, I think I've seen that more probably over the past few years than I've seen in my entire career as a coach where, you know, you see a kid, she's making great progress, and then all of a sudden she kind of like backs way off and you don't see her for a long time and then it's almost like starting all over again. It's starting all over again. The next time you know, you see her. But going back to something you said, there is a lot of Division Three softball that is very, very competitive. Yes. And there is a lot of Division Two softball that is very, very competitive. But I think this there's something kind of almost egotistical about... Um, the status of the school that I go is oh, contrib- is contributing to my self-esteem or the self-esteem of my parents because now they get to wear the hat 
and they get to wear the hoodie or they get to put that sticker on their on their car window um and it's kind of like they made it through their kid but their kid probably doesn't even belong at that level and she's the 23rd player on the on the on the on the roster and she she uh and I, I was trying to keep this into a mental skills um talk but it's it's turning out to be a recruiting talk <laughs> I mean everything at this point becomes recruiting after a while because anyone who has any sort of decent aspirations is going to at a collegiate level if, if yeah. to me I feel like if I talk to a, an athlete um and you know she's in ninth or 10th grade and she has she says to me, well, no, I really have absolutely no desire to play in college. That's almost like a red flag because, you know, well, then, okay, what are you doing? <laughs> right, right, you what know? are you doing, right, what are you doing, right. And I, it's funny, because, so on, on the mental game thing, I believe that the players that welcome the adversity that need the pressure because some some athletes need pressure to perform yes like I, I need I needed the stakes to be high so that I can dial it up another level but why does this player and I always tell my players I said look I'm glad your swing looks nice I'm glad you have a nice swing that's great but that's not going to be the reason why you're going to be a good hitter No, not Congra- at all. Congra- congratulations on your nice swing. That's about twenty. <laughs> that's about twenty percent of the process that you you've attained. So, the, 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 that mentality, and I feel like I have the I have forces working against me because I'm trying to get kids to be mentally tough, and then the, the system spoils them. The system is making it too easy for them. There's, there's no grind, so it's like the school systems baby the kids. They get babied at home. They get babied in in all their institutions. They, everything is catering to the to not being offensive and not hurting their feelings. And you can't make kids do push-ups. And they even took dodgeball out of school now. So now it's like there's no nothing. There's nothing to make them tough. I was at the airport the other day, and a, a little girl was trying to take her own bag off of the uh, the luggage uh, the luggage thing that spins around. Yeah. And her mom stopped her from taking her her luggage off of the thing. No, 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 no. You're gonna get hurt. She, 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 she. Okay, she's gonna get hurt taking luggage off of the. Dude, that girl's a future number three hitter. You, you just made <laughs> you, you just made her a bench warmer just by just by creating that mentality. <laughs> you, you, you know what I'm saying? Well, actually, well, do you remember a long time ago? I'd asked you about like something that you felt like was common among the athletes you had who have been recruited at a really high level and you said if you put all their parents in the same room that you would know that you would find that they all had similar values they raised their children very similarly and um, that you felt that that had a huge impact on where they were able to play and their overall athletic ability um, but what you're talking about is basically the reason why um, I no longer teach English because <laughs> I felt that there just wasn't, I, I couldn't as a teacher 
give them the, the kids had no accountability for anything you know and, and god forbid was, god forbid you try to hold them accountable how dare you that was the problem yep. <laughs> and I, I have a lot of friends that are teachers and that's 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 uh that's very common they get this email now where you know the parents are emailing teachers directly now that's a little different than when we went to school <laughs> yeah um you come home with a C plus, you get a beating, and then you you got you got you're told you have to step your game up in school. Now you get to see come home with a C plus, and they're blaming the teacher for the C plus. That is what was happening, and that that's that's happening with a lot of my teacher friends. And I think, um, you know, it's, it happens it happens in sports because if if I would if if my mom comes to my game, and I'm sitting on the bench, she's gonna look at me like, why why are you playing? And I'm gonna be like. What am I going to say? She said, well, you need to play better so you can get on that field. She's not going to email the coach to find out why I'm not playing. Like, dude, obviously I'm not performing well. Yes. You, you understand? Like, so that's on me. And I think when you make an excuse for players, that's not the mental game. That That's not the mental game starts in the house. It's basically where I was going with that. The mental game starts in the house. It does. Though. It starts it at home. Really it starts at home. It really does. And I think, so, so I don't know how to, how, I, I, without telling people how to raise their kids, but there, there's a certain thing, there's a certain quality, and there's a certain uh, value system and competitiveness that is instilled in, 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 in a young person early on that causes them to become more competitive. It causes them to become able to overcome adversity. And, and, and adversity is the best teacher. Failure and adversity is the best teacher of, of, of strengthening the mental and emotional game. Yes, and there was that piece I had read on Olympic level and professional level athletes, and what was fascinating about it is they had failed just as much as amateur athletes and just as much as athletes whom you would not consider to be successful, but it was the way they perceived that failure. So, you know, whereas, let's just say a typical person you know, fails at, um, you know, or strikes out, let's just say. Yep. And the, the person who goes on to become the professional athlete says, well, I will not let them get me next time. You know, I'm going to show them. Or even when it comes to, like, a larger failure, like Michael Jordan not making um, JV basketball, I think, um, that they just use that sort of as the impetus to guide the rest of their career. Whereas other people are like, well... You know, I'm going to go in a corner and hide now, and I'm going to go feel sorry for myself yep. uh, because because I haven't been successful. Team players, they know that these athletes know how to deal with adversity. So it's not just it's not just a sports skill; it's a life skill. And I think that's that's one of the missing components that I find that's missing in those players that are struggling with their mental game, or why I call them mental midgets. And and I have to challenge them. So what happens is, what I've been doing, and I had a conversation with a, with one of my players who has made great strides mentally, and I feel like sometimes I'm I don't even want to talk about swings. I don't want I don't even want to talk about. Uh, quote unquote mechanics 
I want to talk about just, I need you to get something done in the next five pitches. I'm going to make it extremely hard for you. And I need you, and I'll, I'll use the word survive. And they look at me like survive. I said, yeah, I'm throwing the ball real hard and I'm really close. I need you to make it happen. I need you to survive. So you just got to figure it out. I'm not going to judge you on an ugly swing, but I need you to compete. I need you to compete. I don't need you to participate. I need you to compete. So here's the deal. So I'll, so what I'll do is, because I, I want them to understand that failure is necessary. So I, I like to bring the players right to the edge of where they can't do it. And I'm going to have them repeat, repeat, fail, fail better, fail better. So some people call it failing forward. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, I need, you to, I need you to fail better. I need you to fail better. That was great. That was great. Don't get frustrated. Don't roll your eyes. Fail better. Because this is necessary. The failure is necessary for you to be successful. I had another player who's she down in Georgia and she um, you know, she got she's learning how to go from slapping to hitting. So sometimes she'll get she, she, you know, she'll, we'll talk after the games and she'll say, Well, I got frustrated with my hitting, so I only I only hit away once. And I said, Well, I need you to hit away more and I need you to fail more. Because the only way you're going to figure it out is by what you learn from the failure. So don't think about it right now as as though you're performing. We're using these games right now to be able to figure out what we have to do to be better. And it's going to take a tremendous amount of failure that we need to get that out of the way now. And and I think most people are not willing to Right, right, right. 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 Somebody else will. That's that's the whole job of like a, the pitcher. The whole job of the pitcher is to find and exploit your weak spot. Right. So, and that's actually the whole job of the other team in essence. So, you know, if you don't know them and they find them first, then of course you're at a tremendous disadvantage. But if you're able to sort of preemptively work through those things and work through those scenarios that's where sometimes people talk about things like negative visualization um which i guess some people probably already heard of this but it's where you see yourself in essence failing you know you visualize that because that's realistic you know sometimes that's going to happen but then you see yourself coming back from that (laughs) oh my god can i stop you can i stop you i have to stop you that, that is freaking <laughs> I never even thought about doing that that makes a lot of sense you have to have a contingency plan because if you visualize things as always being perfect when they're not you know <laughs> that's a totally different ballgame than oh my god you've already seen yourself fail oh but now you know how you're going to handle it so let okay. So I need I need your take on this. Okay, <laughs> oh, this is good. <laughs> this is really good. Oh boy. Okay. So we got a college team. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna give you a scenario. I'm not gonna name any names, but it's a, there's a there's a particular college team that I've been consulting, and we have a very 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 smart team. Like, they would stress out about getting an A-. minus. Like, they would literally lose their minds if they ever brought home an A-. minus. They really work hard in the classroom. And obviously, that 
that, and I'm going to use the word perfectionism, perfectionism, that perfectionist mentality would turn, will tend to spill over into their, the way they approach the game. Yeah. Right. And then what happens now is when everything is not perfect, they have this mental, they have a mental collapse and it's become a part of the team culture. So, so, so I'm trying to get them to understand how to know the difference between being excellent and being perfect because they're not the same. Yeah, we want to strive to be excellent, but we don't necessarily want to strive to be perfect because I don't know that you can never be a perfect 100. You could be a 99, you could be a 99.5, a 90, a 95, a 97, a 96. But we're striving for the excellence. The excellence in what, in what we do because the perfectionism is choking them. It's cho- it's put, it has a chokehold on their ability to be free and athletic and fast and smooth and, and relaxed. The, per- the perfectionism is like it's almost like a it's, it's, they're going backwards. It's like an albatross. <laughs> Basically. That's exactly what it's like. It's but perfectionism, in the end, is a unicorn. <laughs> you know, there's there's no such thing because if you're the type of person who's really driven, you can only like what you might have thought was perfect for you ten years ago is not realistic to like your scenario ten years down the road. And in a game with so many variables. There is no way to actually achieve and measure perfection because it's not a closed circuit. There are so many different, like, you could really throw as a pitcher a perfect curveball and a, a hitter could just happen to stick her bat out at just the right time and, you know, it's over the first baseman's head by, you know, a few inches. And you know what are you gonna do? You you just technically threw kind of a perfect pitch, but not for that situation. Right, exactly. Right. So and and, and you know what's funny? I, I think um, you know going back to this perfection thing. You know, we we tend to. I'm, I'm, I might be in a cage flipping some balls to someone, and they're upset. I said good. I said good job. And they're upset because it was a ground ball. And I want to I want to talk about that very thing right there about negativity. But before I say that, I want to say this. I'm finding that on the perfection side, in order for me to be able to convince someone that they don't have to be perfect, I have to show them that. I have to tell them story. I'll tell them a story about a kid that I've, I've worked with years ago who absolutely wasn't that good. And then all of a sudden, they're playing on ESPN in the World Series and hitting a, two, hitting a three-run homer or a walk-off grand slam. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, this is just a part of your process. Yeah. And and sometimes they don't kids don't understand process because they want that right now. You know, they want that right now. That right now gratification. Well, I think that's also an unfortunate part of like the culture right now is everything is kind of right now so that's, that's what they would naturally come to expect 
you know, you order something from Amazon, it's there in a day. <laughs> you know, you want to find out information. It's not like, you know, you have to go look in an encyclopedia like you did forever ago. Mm -hmm. it, it's Google, it's instantaneous, essentially. So I think it becomes harder and harder for people to understand conceptually, like, essentially the compound effect, like how things build over time that's a harder and harder concept because we don't see it in our daily lives the way that we should you know what's funny um in business when i first started out the thing that held me back the most is that i wanted i wanted everything to be perfect before i before i did it yeah. and I, i've had books that i didn't even publish for four or five years my, my second book was done five years before i published it and I was like, no, it's not perfect yet. No, it's not perfect yet. No, it's not perfect yet. And I'm like, dude, it's never going to be perfect. That's right. <laughs> just, just, and then I realized and I put it out seven years after the fact. And, you know, you know, I think people do that. I mean, we have a tendency to like, you know, and, and I learned that from Google because Google will put something out and they'll put it out in beta. And it's, it's always in beta. It's, I mean, Google, I'll give you an example. Google, the actual site, the actual search engine, is in beta. Currently, it's always in beta. And as people, we're always in beta. We're always getting better and always improving. We're never going to be the perfect finished finished product. Um, that's why you have a book, and then they'll have a second revision. They'll have a second version, and they'll have a they'll have a second edition, a third edition, a fourth edition, a fifth edition. <laughs> oh, same title of the book, but here's my seventh edition of the book because obviously. You know, obviously I have, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't perfect the first time and it wasn't perfect the seventh time and it wasn't perfect the 11th time. And I think that's what we have to really understand is that as people, we're always in beta and as athletes, especially, we're always, always, always in beta. But if you think about it, that's the way you always want to be because wouldn't life be pretty boring otherwise? <laughs> so, you know, I look at the goals I had written down for myself, you know, in 2004 and 2005, and I'm like, wow, I, I'm like, yeah, I achieved all of that, but now I'm at a place where I have such different goals so on, on a scale that's so much larger because I want to affect so many more athletes. I want my impact to grow in the world, you know, and it, it's just... It's one of those things, if I just stayed with those goals that I had in 2004 and 2005 and, you know, I said, oh, great, I achieved them, done, you know, that's, that's something that you're not then growing as a person, you're not then enriching your lives, like how boring is that, you know? That's true, that's true, that's true. So, uh, um... I got one more thing I want to I want to ask you. So I have a I have a kid I have um I have this thing. So if I'm working with and I'm, I I need you to help me with this. I, I have I have my own theories about this because I believe that American culture specifically, but even more specifically, world culture has played a a role in what I'm about to say. So if, I, if I'm working with a boys baseball team, right? And I ask the players, who's the fastest guy on the team? And 
this this the boy the, the chubbiest slowest looking kid will raise his hand I'm fast <laughs> right yeah. I'm fast he thinks he's fast that's fine that's great he believes in himself and, and he's serious he, he really thinks he's fast okay now and then if I ask that same question to a girl team it doesn't matter what team I've, I've asked I've done this all over the country with teams at every age level from 18 to 10 um, and I asked that question Who's the fastest on the team? Nobody will raise their hand and and want and want to say that they're the fastest. But there'll be three or four people that'll look at the person that's the fastest. And then, and then, and then I'm wondering, why why won't they own it? Why won't they own it? Why won't they want to be that? And and so I've asked that question. I said, why 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 don't you say that about yourself? So what I'm what I'm learning now is that a lot of girls are very very negative in their yeah. in their self talk. Um, I've been doing a lot more self talk exercises and giving them and kind of reprogramming them on what they should be saying to themselves. Um, and I know that the the, the worldview and how. Um, History has told the story of women in, 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 in this world and how the media, uh, how the school system and, and the educational system have portrayed, have portrayed women, how, you know, when you read certain books, you know, it it's really has an effect, I think it has an effect on how they see themselves. And it's something that I, I, I'm trying to, um, it's important for me to be able to get women to feel a certain way about themselves. In order for me to get them and to be it's successful, not easy. <laughs> it's not. It, it hasn't. It hasn't been easy for me. No, it hasn't. And um, but I've been trying different things, and and because I need them to. Um, I feel like if I can change how they see themselves in the world, it's going to change how they play the game, and how they dominate in the game, and how they own the game. But my biggest struggle is that piece right there. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to navigate that. Well, I think one thing that research has shown that's really interesting that you brought up is that so people who achieve at very high levels, again, doesn't matter whether or not it's in sports or CEOs or or things like that, they tend to have very positive self-talk. And people who tend to really underachieve or or do like less than they're capable of, they tend to have very negative self-talk. But what do you think mediocre people do? You mean people who are in the middle? Yes. Um, I don't know. No self-talk. Really? really interesting, right? Because really? you'd think, yes. And that, so this is something that kind of brought my awareness to like my own internal dialogue because a lot of the time I don't do that. Like that sort of positive reinforcement. But I think the other thing is that um, girls and women in general tend to take a lot of external dialogue and make it their own. So whatever they've heard a lot of growing up, you know, they'll tend to take that and they'll tend to make it part of their like emotional script. Um, and I don't, you know, having worked with male athletes as well, 
I don't see them do that at all. You know, if you make an adjustment on a male athlete, a lot of the time they'll say something to the effect of, oh, well, I'm just warming up. Like, I was getting there. Like, I got it. This they have, they have excuses, but, 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 but they're ex- they have excuses because they're protecting their self-esteem. That's exactly right. Yes. But on, on the flip side, so I'll give you an example. Um, I started doing this exercise that a friend of mine, I, I actually got this from a friend of mine. I started doing this exercise in my classes where I have, at the end of the class, I'll pick one person and I say, I need you to say three things about yourself that's positive. And almost every time, and maybe it's just anecdotal, maybe, I, maybe I just, I'm just picking the wrong person. <laughs> but, or, or maybe I'm picking the right person, you never know, but they, they, they have a hard time coming up with one thing let alone three things. So like, okay, okay, just tell me to tell us one thing. And then I'm like, but the entire time you've been saying negative things all day about yourself. That came so easy for you. But I asked you to say one thing positive, just one thing about yourself, anything. And you, 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 you were uncomfortable with the idea of doing that. But you were comfortable with beating yourself up. That comes a lot easier as, you know, a script, I think, for just females in general. But I also think having seen, you know, you work with athletes, I think I think there are two separate issues at play. I think one is, you know, female athletes want to be taken to the next level, and they have to realize then that they shouldn't be getting really much like totally special treatment. So to me, in a foreign trip many years ago when girls had shown up late to leave to go to training and things like that. I remember that day. Yeah. I, oh my God. I thought the way that you handled that was the best I've ever seen because it wasn't like you're you're treating them any differently from the way any male athlete would be. It would be like these are your expectations. This is what I expect from you. Um, this is this is the way you're going to be successful, not just in this sport but in life in general. And you know, you say how you're the type of person who believes in them when a lot of other people don't. So don't take advantage of that. And I was just completely wowed. I thought, wow, if more people worked with female athletes like this it would be a totally different situation, I think, personally. <laughs> um, but the other thing is, like, you, they almost get a lot of conflicting messages because on the one hand you say, well, you know, we're going to hold you to the same standards that, you know, men are held and this and that, but then they get treated very differently, you know. So there's still a lot of conflicting stuff out there, I think, it's in, with regard to female athletes. And there's still that sense that at the higher level, there isn't there isn't a lot you can do <laughs> with your sport as a professional athlete. Not yet, anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. we'll see. I mean, I was reading about how football in the '70s was kind of well, not. <laughs> I mean, they were making what was it like twenty thousand, thirty thousand dollars a year. So still not not today's standards but maybe something that's livable mm-hmm. and you know now 
NPS and things like that, they, they basically, it's a stipend. So you have to end up choosing at some point or another. You have to say. Yeah, but, it, okay. but, 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 it, but if Japan, if Japan can do it, if Japan can make it where women can play professional sports, and if Russia can do it, why can't, why can't America do it? I know, and that's and, 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 and that's that's know. my thing. And so, and, and I think because America doesn't want to do it, that's what I'm saying. Because if you want to do something, I mean, everything that we wanted to do, we put a person on the moon. Like we, we, come on. Like if you wanted, if you, if America really wanted to get it done, they roll up their sleeves and get it done. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to hear the people aren't ready for it. I don't want to hear I, America just needs to really just take women more seriously. Than they have been, than they have been in the past, and step up, and start really having some serious equality going on right now, which is which they haven't done. That's just the bottom line. You know, what, what I find so interesting about Japan is that it was a culture where, like, you know, women had a very like demure place, you know, for a very long time. Mm-hmm. But I think culturally, again, there there are two very very different approaches, like the the Japanese have, I mean, I, and I think honestly this is the same re- reason why you go over to Japan and their infrastructure even though there's incredible seismic activity and you know, I mean, earthquakes galore and things like that, their infrastructure is like so superior to ours, it's like, you know 300 mile an hour trains like nothing runs more than a couple minutes off time, mm-hmm. in fact with like the Shinkansen and everything like that they it, it runs to the second like they take apart the trains every like month they put them back together to make sure everything's perfect like well but... let me add this let me add this you know when when you when i first met you when you came down to my office uh over in marinick new york that you know that where i was was a uh, a japanese baseball school uh... did you notice that no. So it was a Japanese baseball school, and I had le- I learned so much about Japanese culture and sports and training just by being in there for like I think I was there for about five years with an office in that building. And th- these guys, you know, it's a it's the culture of their of how they think obviously spills over into the into how they play the game and approach the game. So, you know, just talking with them, I learned that the umpires are graded. By strike zone. The strike zones have to be called to the book to the T. You don't get to create your own personal strike zone. And if you don't do it, if you don't have an A, I think it's 95% or higher strike 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 zone, they go back and they review every single call you make. Then you can't be an umpire. It's amazing. It's amazing because they have such a high standard for everyone to do what they do. It's it's not it's not like, it, in essence, they have this idea called Kaizen, which basically means they just constantly, every day, make things a little bit better. And they feel like, like if that's not something that you're doing, you know, if you're not trying every day to make yourself a little bit better, then what are you doing? And I think that's just an amazing thing because if that that effect compounds dramatically over time. Mm-hmm. But the other thing that, they, um, you know, Americans are very judgmental about the Japanese about is they, um, in terms of like their almost like Little League World Series, they do not impose pitch counts on the boys at all. They will let them go like forever, you know. Um, 
I don't know if you read, but there was a really amazing article about that, about how, you know, people over in the U.S. were judging, you know, um, because they let this kid go for however many pitches, which we let the girls do. You know, we have no problem letting right, the girls right, do that right, over right. here. But, you know, that happens in another country, and, you know, everybody's all over it because, you know, <laughs> oh, well, boys are supposed to stick to a certain pitch count. Oh, well, here's really? the deal, though. Just so you know. Ever since American baseball started imposing pitch counts, Tommy John surgeries have now found its way down to 13-year-olds. Just so you yeah. know. Just so you know. So obviously pitch counts have not worked because the, the kids are not able to build up arm strength and they're getting injured. So it's, it's had the reverse effect. So that's, that's, another, that's another story, though. <laughs> so um, in closing... What do you think we do? You know, how do we how do we change the culture? And what what do you what do you do? What do you say to a parent who says, you know, I want to get my kid is soft. Um, they're not able to. They don't. They don't compete. They don't step up in a big moment. She could be good, but she's just too soft. What you know? What can I do to get her tougher, mentally tougher? She's too passive. Like, how do I get her to be more that girl that comes right out of hitter 2-0 and doesn't, you know, or that, that hitter that she swings the bat on 2-0. She takes a mean hack. She does, she's not taking 2-0 two, two fastballs down the middle. How do you get kids to get out of that? See, I firmly believe that everybody kind of has that switch that where they can be made to be aggressive if they have to be. You know, it's, it's almost like... Um, how they how they say that um, you know if, if someone's in like a dire circumstances like suddenly they have superhuman strength and I think it's about kind of finding that that boundary and that limit that you have to kind of like push to to get things started like my dad always used to say to me he's like you pitch so much better when you're angry oh. <laughs> and I'd be like ah and you know, it's funny you said that because I was going to, as you were talking, I was saying to myself, I always tell my girls, and they laugh at me when I say it, and I say, I always say, nice girls, bad eighth. And I'm not, I'm, and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that there's anything wrong with batting eighth, but there is something wrong with being okay with batting eighth. Right. If you're okay with it, I think something's wrong with that. Because you need that constant drive to be better, no yeah. matter what you do. If you're, if you're cool with that, that's not good. Now, now if you know, so so I always I always tease them and say, "Nice girls, bad eighth. But yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, so I think it's 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 totally along those lines. Though it's like I, I think it's a lot about you have to kind of find your place on that psych scale and practice getting to that place in different like situations you know so if you know you're if you know you need to be like a 10 on the psych scale and you need to be like one step away from like ripping someone's throat out in order to like compete your best mm -hmm. then you have to find out a healthy way to get to that point every single time um you know do you need to think about something that makes you really angry do you need to like listen to some crazy music do you do you need to um visualize like what it will be like if you don't achieve this you know like what what do you need to do to find your internal trigger 
because everybody has one. Everybody definitely has one. But it's a matter of digging deep and getting to that point. Speaking of um, internal triggers, um, it's important for me to help to have my hitters understand, especially the higher level play. If I know I'm getting you ready to go play at a really high level, sometimes our conversations are just that much different. And I need them to be able to understand, one, how they can get into the zone or how they can get locked in quick and two how they can stay locked in longer and three feeling when they're coming out of the zone or they're not locked anymore and how to get back to that relatively quickly and maybe it's it's maybe you don't have it that game but next game can you get back to locked in and that's a that's a certain level of self-awareness that the good players understand. I have a routine that gets me locked in. Maybe I have to eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich before every game. Maybe I have to <laughs> listen to, um, I don't know, my Drake album, my favorite Drake album before the game. Whatever whatever that is, whatever it is that's going to get you locked in and, and whatever it is going to help you to, 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 to get to the level that you need to get to mentally and emotionally, then I think that's when I have, when I truly have self-awareness then I am able to be I'm able to be consistent in my focus. Um my my and just how the game just because it just the game comes to me in a different way. And the people who never develop that self awareness are the people who never really hit that next level. I mean, but I mean, as you said earlier Everybody everybody know, can't do it. Everybody's meant to do that. And, and, and see and I think and you know what, you know I think you have certain times, like if you if you break a team down, and I've done this exercise with a I, matter of fact, I did this exercise with a team, a travel ball team in North Carolina. Um, um, I asked the coach to write down every single player on the team and give them a give them a rating of um, if this kid is focused ninety percent of the time or more, the kid this kid is a one. If this kid is focused only half the time, this kid is a two. And if this kid is a, just a space cadet and she's never focused, she's a three, <laughs> right? She's a three. And then, then I told him to divide the, the the total number up of what you got by the number of players. And then you'll see what you are as a team. And that's it. If you, if you can get those kids that are threes, if you can get two of those threes, if you can get two, if you have a few threes and you can get a couple of them to come up to two, and if you can get a couple of those twos to come up to one, you're good to go. It changes the team environment. It, cha- it changes the team environment. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. Because sometimes those twos can bring a one down. That's right. Yeah. And the threes can bring, you know, the threes can bring a two down. So and you have to be able to maintain, to control it and manage that. So, and that's the reason why coaching and winning coaches who win have to have a certain level of emotional intelligence, which we got to talk about emotional intelligence. We got to do another, we got to do another, another, another podcast. <laughs> I had just read about that as actually one of the greater markers for success in life, even more so than IQ. More than IQ. EQ over IQ all day. And I want to talk about that because you know what? I was talking about this in 2010 with my kids and they were looking at me like, are you crazy? And I was like, listen, man, you got, you have to have people still. 
every I don't want to go into it, but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about because because we'll because we'll be here for another another hour and we gotta go, but we we're gonna we're gonna get back together. We're gonna talk about um about EQ um and and yeah. and why athletes need to have it and why great teams have leadership you know people in leadership positions on their team that have a great EQ and why the most successful coaches EQ is more important than their technical knowledge and their knowledge of the actual game itself and I think we talked I think we had I think we alluded we had we had a little bit of a conversation about that the other day I think Yes, we did. <laughs> so I want to, I want to, I want to dive into that next time and, and, and dedicate an entire show to that. Um, but um, but <laughs> I'm ready. But as as all, is there anything you want to say before we get off uh, this call? Oh, I think I think we've given people lots to digest already. <laughs> <laughs> all right, great. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm really glad you came on today. I'm glad glad we had this talk. I know you have a lot going on. As, so as as do I. Um, we're, we're expecting um, some really uh, challenging weather in the next couple of days here in New York, and I'm, I'm due to fly out Thursday down to Florida. But hopefully, I can get out of here. We'll see what happens. And then, um, but you know, if not, we'll, we'll figure, I'll figure that out. But um, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And um, uh, listeners, you can go into my show notes and find on um, for this episode and you will be able to find out how you can get in touch with Julianne Soviero. She is available for a lot of different services regarding player development in the mental game, the physical game, nutritional and what have you. And um, she's one of the best in the game at this. So I really appreciate the relationship that we have and the, the time that we get to spend talking and, and just kind of learning and bouncing ideas off each other has really helped me grow as a, as a teacher. And I look forward to um, us doing more stuff like this, Julia. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so we'll talk soon. Talk soon. All right. <laughs>